one is a human being. One may experience oneself as important or self-respecting, diligent, true, truthful, virtuous. One may experience oneself as problematic, filled with regret, unworthy. We could ascribe all kinds of experiences to you, to me, to any other human being. And yet, one is responsible within one's heart of heart, one's soul, one's spirit, the expression of one's soul or oneself. And through that, one's incarnation, one's physical body, every breath from conception through birth to the last breath, you or I breathe in from spirit, Holy Spirit, Yahweh, God the Father, Mother, that great one, Allah, Tat, Sat. We could go all around the world and find the splendid nuances of how in the human breath, our ancestors of the entire human race have tried to speak, to listen and look and taste and touch and feel through the human incarnate perceptions that <clears throat> from which one arises, because of which one is born, the mystery of which one embodies every moment of every breath until the last breath is gone and one returns to that, him, her, that holy of holies, so pure it cannot be said verbally. It would require that we use the breath to pull away from him enough to try to say his name or her name. So some people are silent <clears throat> in that contemplation. Others will sing and chant hymns or translate the names of that great one. A Hopi elder will be praying in the Kiva for all of the human race and all of creation, all of life. I will be telephoned by a Hopi elder's wife, letting me know that my prayers are beside the women and men of these beloved people who have mentored me for many, many years, decades. I will be 70 this month, 70 years of age. In this incarnation, the Hopis have mentored me for almost 40 physically. <clears throat> in the mystery, something arises in oneself, a direction toward holiness, from holiness. Each human being has the age of reason within his heart of hearts or hers or theirs to recognize home and be responsible to represent that. I would say that is one's responsibility to all other human beings, including to oneself, to all 
all ancestors of the entire human race into all beings as we go forward in time and space in your next breath and mine. <clears throat> I've said many times in teaching that as a very little girl, we had beautiful, beautiful books. My father was on a <clears throat> very modest salary as a teacher in the United States of America. He was a high school teacher of history, a football and, and coach track, track and field. He loved education. He has ancestors in that branch of our family going back 400 years in, in parts of France up into Alsace-Lorraine, towards Switzerland and southern Germany. And so he was just the embodiment of the mentor-educator. <clears throat> In the joy of showing us, remember home? Remember heaven? In your heart of hearts, Betsy, here with Daddy, this Saturday morning, here's how we shall embody it responsibly in a chore this day. For your mother, for myself as daddy, for you as our first of two daughters, we have son, daughter, daughter, son. And then it is good. There is joy, contentment, life, next breath, right? My father taught me that life itself, lived virtuously, is prayer. I experience that joy every moment of every day, 24 hours a day. That arises through the cells of my body, bequeathed to me through my late father. And embodied by him in so many ways during his life. <clears throat> so he and my mother would prepare gifts for our birthdays that were scattered throughout the years in the family. They were at several different points in the year. And at the holidays in my culture of the Judeo-Christian world, and we studied, I started studying world religions because of my father as a girl and as a very young woman. So I bought my first spiritual books of other world religions with my allowance money at about age 12 to 14, which I've spoken of many times. <clears throat> and I've been studying that ever since. <clears throat> and I was moved to do so in something I spoke of recently, watching the Kennedy Khrushchev uh, discussions on television as a little girl and realizing these two men are not listening to one another. Their perceptions are not attenuated to one another. They do not respect that the other man knows anything other than that he's very sophisticated in his culture or society. So I was aware, sitting down low in a little area between my parents, they were sitting on the couch, I was sitting down kind of with pillows on the floor, I can remember it. <clears throat> and I was aware, they don't know what they're doing. They cannot lead us to the future adequately in this way. Because they don't believe, and then not only do they not believe the other man, they don't respect him. Because they believe that what they think is reality is reality. And I was aware the other man believes the very same thing. <clears throat> as aware as a, as a child, we must bring both of them and all of us into something which includes that, and yet comes from 
our heart of hearts so that we responsibly represent this every breath. And that's been my path ever since that evening on our little black and white television. <clears throat> so my father and mother would prepare for the holidays, my grandparents, while they were still alive. Especially my father's father loved that, loved Christmas. <clears throat> my parents famously bought a little doll crib from my beloved baby doll. I had a wonderful doll that was given to me by my father's mother when I was a baby. <clears throat> and I absolutely loved it. And so my parents bought a little crib for her that was my special gift when I was, I believe, two. And they put it under the tree. And my grandfather came into the house with my grandmother, my grandfather Charles, William Charles, and my grandmother Anna, Anna Marguerite Harhin. And <clears throat> my grandpa turned to my parents and said, you just wait, you give her about a minute and she'll be in that crib. So I apparently was in the other room. I didn't hear him. My grandpa came in and sat down. And there I went. And within a minute, there I was sitting in my little doll's bed. I thought it was for me and my baby doll. And of course it was. The cells of my grandfather, which had fought in World War I with a rifle and a bayonet <clears throat> and was somewhat traumatized from that war, it made him see that much of what human beings do is not worth the doing. So he would move towards something and attain accomplishing it if he felt it was a virtuous movement forward. But if you said to Grandpa, why don't we build a new dock for the boat, for the canoe? He might have just sort of stopped and the cells of his body wouldn't move forward. I, I remember this in him so deeply. He was not stunning war any longer. He wrote poetry. He helped with many things in life. But there was no further aggression in him toward war or experiencing accepting war. He just <clears throat> was contemplating what to do next, I suppose. He's not here physically for us to ask. But in the cells of my body, I have continued that as my grandpa's little baby doll granddaughter, Betsy, who, whom he knew, you wait. <clears throat> and whatever my parents said, Becky goes, no, less than a minute and she'll be in it. Right? Beyond war, a safe baby here in the United States, who is me? These cells this incarnation, <clears throat> this breath, beside you in your incarnation, in your cells, in that breath. And then together we are responsible for who we are and what we do and what we become. Beside Kennedy's soul, God rest his soul. Beside Khrushchev's soul, God rest his soul beside all the people of their two nations, beside all of humankind. And then in our heart of hearts, through every part of our soul, our spirit moving through our aura and chakras and mind and emotions, right into the very cells of our body, the breath moves and responsibly we start embodying home beyond all war and peace, 
students of holiness. Oh my goodness. That's the path. It always has been. It always will be. So at <clears throat> the holidays, which would have been Advent, Christmas, toward the new year in my family, <clears throat> the birth of the being Jesus is a celebration. A certain light brought through that soul, a remembrance of other souls before him, his mother, his father, the shepherds, the wise men who came, angels, people all around the region, and ancestors before them <clears throat> of more than one faith because the wise men were considered to come from other faiths than the Judeo-Christian traditions. So my parents were very aware of that. You know, these men came and had families from faraway places. There is wisdom in his breath and his and his, and maybe one of them with a wife at home or a son. So one is aware humbly and nobly of receiving the breath of all human beings in history, the present, toward the future, from heaven, from the divine, from God, whatever we name him or her or that. Or, for secular humanists, from the universe, the mystery, the great mystery. And then as we breathe, Something within us and all around us expresses through us and to us from everyone and everywhere, heaven, here, breathe. Embody this in every cell of your being for the next breath and the next breath and the next breath. When we do this, <clears throat> we are so content, and yet what arises in other people is either permission to embody this principle or argument in our fairy tales. You know, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. How dare you breathe like that? What tribe are you from? You're from the wrong tribe. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to stop you. I'm going to scare you at least so that you leave, you leave who you are, and you fall to me. Don't ever do that, ever, never. I learned this from my father. This part of you belongs to something <clears throat> that no one has seniority over, only you in the divine. You don't have seniority over this in any other being. Every other human being also is of that mystery in the divine, in the universe, and your place is beside one another. And within you is the capacity, every breath, to breathe and embody through your cells 
home, virtuous, beyond all violence. You have the possibility of that response. You are responsible for that response every breath. It's up to you. So for me, <clears throat> as a very little girl at Christmas, we would receive gifts at this time of the birth of Jesus and come down in the morning and under our tree would be a toy, an article of clothing, and a book. And these were decided by my mother and father together. <clears throat> my mother felt it was important that there be the prosperity of our family respected in a sweater or a pair of mittens that she might knit, <clears throat> or a new dress <clears throat> or shirt, and that there would be a toy so that the prosperity and well-being of our family was expressed through play and joy. And there would be a book so that the prosperity of our family was expressed through the reverence for learning and receptivity to respecting ancestry and history, being responsibly present, <clears throat> and my parents directing us toward a future that was both universal and intimate. So from when I was two years old on, there would be a book <clears throat> for Mike and myself together. We were the two older elder of the children. And then as we got older, there would be Books also then for my younger sister and, and then for my our little brother, our younger brother. But those books in those several years before Terry was born and then Peter was born, they were given to Mike and me, were splendid. They were so splendid. Because we would sit together. We would sit first and he might look at the book and I would look up to him. There's my big brother, my hero. And he was more drawn to the book than he was to his toy or his clothing. And I would be aware that my brother was so present in his breath, in his soul, <clears throat> in his heart of hearts, with my parents shepherding him, just as shepherds came to the manger. My brother showed me Betsy, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Ann, bring your attention here beside my heart. That place was always safe between my brother and myself, and my parents took care of that beyond all warfare, beyond all argument. The love that I have for my late brother is beyond any word I could say. I believe that if he had not been here first, I wouldn't be talking to you today. I believe that he simply went ahead of me. Why? He was sent ahead of me. His life was ordinary, yet not. He's one of the five men who created the rocket fuel for the space shuttle. He advised renowned winemakers like the late Robert Mondavi, who adored him, Charles Krug. People at Sterling Vineyards, he helped them plan their decisions of what to do and when and where and Schramsburg, and these places all across the Napa Valley. Hey, Mike. So if I went with him, the, 
The owner of the winery would come out, Mike, come on back. We can't figure out what to do here. This one issue is just we're not being able to figure it out. And they would talk so lovingly. And the water would become wine, heart to heart. Theirs and Mike's to mine. Unafraid. Life, his breath, my breath. No weapons. Only love. I'm not speaking of perfection, and yet I am. Because we were responsible in an almost perfect symbiosis as an older brother protecting his younger sister and a younger sister cherishing her older brother. Nothing can harm that. There's no weapon. So <clears throat> when we were little children, uh, one year there was a beautiful book of children from faraway lands, children from other lands. I've spoken of this before. And <clears throat> looking at the book, Mike looked at the book, and then later I remember looking at the book and being aware that the people of the Southwest tribes illuminating the book in beautiful illustrations and then my parents reading it to me and then Mike later on reading it to me. I was aware these people and I are connected. When I am older, I am somehow supposed to physically know them. I knew that in my breath, my eyesight looking at the illustrations, my ears listening to my family reading to me. I remember trying to tell my parents who didn't really understand what I was talking about. <clears throat> and then when I met different elders from Taos, Pueblo, and Hopi, and Zuni, other areas in the Southwest and in other parts of North America. They would know, it's you, you've come. It's you, you've come. I was told I would live to see this day. As the late Dan Evahema breathed and I entered his home, and there we were, meeting breath to breath, that's what he spoke. And I received responsibly the love from the divine into him, the divine into me, and the mystery between us, which no force can ever separate from the union of who we are from the creator back to the creator. Dan was studying this. He lived to be 106. I am studying this. May you each live every breath you are to live beyond all warfare, to breathe and be in every cell of your body the child of God you are to be, that we all recognize, pray and practice, live and realize, oh, your breath of holiness, embodying the study of holiness, back to holiness, so that I know what to do. And that as I pray and practice and breathe in such a way, you know what to do.
And that when other beings come forward with argument or weapons, and we pray and practice and breathe, they each start to ask the question internally, what am I doing? I want to do what they're doing. I think I vaguely remember something beautiful, something filled with grace, consciously or unconsciously. And that is our responsibility. So in the autumn retreat <clears throat> taught recently, I spoke very deeply of Ozymandias and how my husband loves to bring that poem forward. It's by Percy Shelley, and he was a young man, and an English, one of the four or five most esteemed romantic poets. And he would speak of, you know, this sort of dreamy way of living, and he dressed in sort of gorgeous... Um, jackets and scarves and he uh, lived in I think he was born in the late late 1700s and he wrote a poem based on a very famous statue that had been found in the deserts of Egypt and it was a head of a person who had lived he was the Pharaoh Ramses. I talked about this in the retreat. He was the Pharaoh Ramses. And so there was a, a head of him found in the, in the sand. And he was sometimes called Memnon, Memnon the, the Pharaoh. And so the head of Memnon, the head of Ramses, was coming to England. So it's believed that, that Shelley never saw it, but he wrote a famous poem about it, about Ozymandias, this figure found in the deserts, from a time far away, a civilization, had it destroyed itself? What had happened? No one remembered. Dust to dust. There's a famous line in the Bible. Remember, man, that thou art dust, and unto dust thou shalt return. There is the head of, of Memnon, the head of Ozymandias, the head of Ramses, out in the desert. What happened? Who was there? They're all dead now. We take our nations of the world. And then what happened? Well, I guess it was so important, all the violence and greed and power. What did we all do to each other? Well, I guess there's some statue back there in the sand somewhere. And so John will come home and at a certain point, he'll, he'll turn and just state a line from Ozymandias because he sees the futility of man's quest for power and greed. As every day he goes to his office, as he has for almost 50 years, and he tends the health of any human being who walks in to meet him. He practices do no harm be and do no harm. To the best of his human ability, he is breathing, remembering that holiness, praying and practicing that holiness, embodying the virtue of that as best he is able with every single patient who crosses his threshold, and with me, and toward his children, and who they might be in the future, what they might tend in this way. That would be his aspiration for them. I am certain of that. 
We are very devoted to one another. So as we turn as a couple from eternity in the present moment to eternity, we are children who looked at these books when we were little, little. And we innocently wanted to be virtuous beyond all violence. And the bayonets of my grandfather and father and uncle fell away so Betsy could climb into her little crib, right? My little doll crib. I was safely able to do it. I'm safely able to sit with you today and speak that we might pray and practice in this way. So my John and my Blaine, who's worked diligently beside me forever, they really don't bear weapons when they pray and practice with me and I with them. They safely drive me all over. They carry bags of groceries as I walk with a cane and I'm not strong enough to carry one and walk and climb into the car or truck at the same time. Right? They have beaten their swords into plowshares. So when the statue of Ozymandias crumples, the heart of John or Blaine is remembered in the annals of eternity, from eternity to eternity, heart to heart, never forgotten, never forsaken, a perfection of divine love. And then something is revealed to them, through them. And that signature of who each of those two men are is written in the stars. Pray and practice that yours might be deeply, purely, truly in that perfect love.